All right, we're on week three of Fixer Upper, and we've been talking about this for a couple weeks, and so get your sermon notes out or your phone out, whichever you want to use your Bibles. Let's open up to Nehemiah chapter two. Yeah! Nehemiah chapter two. A little backdrop on Nehemiah just to set the stage. If you've not been here for the previous parts of this series, Nehemiah is living in a foreign country away from Israel, and he gets news. He's in Persia. He gets news that the walls are torn down. The gates are burned with fire. It's devastating news to him. It's all his people. And so he starts crying. He starts praying, starts fasting, and he's serving this king, and he's trying to figure out how's he going to get back and help him. He feels like God's asking him to go help him, but he's trying to figure out how am I going to get back and do it. And so uh, we're going to start here in verse number one of chapter two and catch up to where Nehemiah is in this story. And and it came to pass in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, that I took the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had never been sad in his presence before. A couple things, this is the month of Nisan, no car references here, but the month of Nisan. This is the month of March and April. And so this is Uh, We talked about, if you look back at verse 1 of chapter 1, this was the month of Kislev when he first heard about it. So that was November, December. So the only reason I mention that is so we can understand the context of the time frame that when God first spoke to Nehemiah about this, now it's four months later. So he's been praying, fasting, seeking God, trying to figure out what to do for four months. Okay, so he's been in this process for a little bit, trying to get clarity on what to do, praying about the opportunity to talk to the king. He knows he can't do anything without the king because you notice he was in the presence of the king and he was uh, uh, preparing wine before him. The wine before him is because his role, Nehemiah's role for this king was he was what they called a wine giver, wine bearer, cup bearer. And what they did, their role was their sole responsibility. Check that out. This was his job. I don't know if his, his total job, I'm sure it's like we used to give employees, it says, you got your job description, then you got other duties as assigned. But this, is, this was like, his main job was to taste wine that came before the king, make sure it wasn't poisonous, and then turn around and give it to the king. So he would drink it first, and if he didn't die, then the king would say, okay, I'll take a drink. That's his job. You know, that's quite a gig there. You just drink wine all day and, and give it to the king. So that's, that's what he was doing. And so notice what it says, though. He says, I've never been sad in his presence before. This is just something important to understand, that it was an occupational hazard to be sad in the king's presence. The king only wanted happy people around him. Why? Because the king wanted it only to be about him. Most time, the kings were all about themselves. Please me. Take care of me. I don't want any unhappiness. If anybody's going to be unhappy, it's going to be me. If you're having a bad day, sorry, keep it to yourself. I want happy people. So if you're sad in the king's countenance, he might banish you from his court. You might lose your job. Like, why are you being all sad? Get out of here. I need some happy people. Bring me someone to entertain me. Right? So he's like, I've never been sad in his presence before. So now the king notices this and he sees that. He says, In verse uh, two, he says, therefore, the king said to me, why is your face sad since you're not sick? You ever had somebody that their face said something was wrong with them, but they said nothing was wrong? (laughs) You said, hey, hey, what's wrong? Nothing. We need to tell your face because your face. Really enjoying the message, pastor. 
Tell your face. That's right. I'm just kidding. You know, you've had that. We've had that ourselves. You know, you just got a blank look about it and you're like, well, nothing's really wrong, but my face like might say something differently. So that's what's happened. He said, your, your face is sad. But he said, but you're not sick. You're not sick. So what's, what's going on? This is nothing but sorrow of heart. Sorrow of heart. When he says it's sorrow of heart, I want you to understand something that's very important. He says, this is obviously something that's bothering you deeply. And we need to understand that there are issues that we face in our life that are going to cause some sorrow of heart. And what I, what I thought about in this, time, in this message was I thought, okay, in the king's court, you weren't allowed to show your sorrow of heart. Everybody's supposed to put on a smiley face and be happy and pretend. I just want to make sure we understand as a church, we don't want that kind of environment where people have to put on a fake face when they're really going through sorrow of heart. We want it to be real because there's people facing real issues, real family problems, marriage problems, job problems, children's problems, parent problems, real issues that's causing, causing sorrow of heart. So I don't want an atmosphere where we have to put on a smiley face instead of being real. Let's be honest because we're dealing with some issues and we want to find help and healing with those issues. See, so this is sorrow of heart. This is something deep going on. Something deep down on the inside of you, I can tell there's more than meets the eye than what's happening. And so the king notices that. He sees something. And can I just encourage you with this? The king noticing that something was wrong with Nehemiah should let you know that our king notices when something's wrong with you. Whatever we're facing, it does not go unnoticed in heaven. If you're like sitting there going, nobody knows what I'm going through, Jesus does. Nehemiah noticed that something was wrong, and I want you to know that God notices everything in our life. He notices when something's happening and something's bringing us down. So he notices that. But notice what Nehemiah said. So I became dreadfully afraid. So the king asked him, what's going on? And this is what I believe the thing that Nehemiah has been praying about for four months. He's been wanting to get an audience with the king to tell him what's on his heart. But you don't just go in and tell the king what's on your heart without the king asking you. You couldn't just bum rush in and hey, king, I got something to say. You can't do that. He had to ask you. You had to be invited. So he says, when the king asked him, this is the opportunity that he'd been waiting for. But notice what he said, but I became dreadfully afraid. What does that mean? It tells me that sometimes there can be a great opportunity that comes up before you and it can still scare you. Sometimes there's things that's going to come up, an opportunity of a lifetime, and it can still bring apprehension. It can still, we can still have some fear about it. So what God was speaking to me through this, he said, listen, courage is not the absence of fear, but courage is the overcoming of fear. Sometimes we think that if I feel any fear, that means I better back off. Sometimes that fear is a sign of the enemy trying to bring resistance, and you need to just plow on through it. And this is what happens. Sometimes the opportunity of a lifetime will still scare you a little bit. You know why? Because it's bigger than you. Sometimes we want God to do awesome things, and then when he does it, we're like, oh, now what? we got to trust him. So this, it scared him a little bit. He's like, oh, man, what am I going to do? Because if I say the wrong thing or, or ask the wrong thing. But God, God's going to give you opportunities, but he's going to ask you to have the courage to follow through with that opportunity. Remember when God gave the children of Israel the promised land, gave them Jericho, big walls, and he said, hey, I've given Jericho into your hand. 
But then he had to tell Joshua, be strong and of good courage because the Lord your God is with you. Even though we have great opportunities, sometimes we need the courage of the Lord to be with us, to help us overcome. So I just want to encourage you, even though sometimes opportunity comes up, oh, I feel a little fear. That's okay. Courage is not the absence of fear. It's the overcoming of it. So look what he says in verse 3. And so then Nehemiah says to the king, may the king live forever. It's a good greeting. Why should my face not be sad when the city, the place of my father's tombs, lies waste and the gates are burned with fire? Now Nehemiah starts pulling on the king's heartstrings. Notice he doesn't say the place. He doesn't say the location. He says my father's, the place of my father's. He plays the family card. The king likes Nehemiah. He doesn't necessarily like Jerusalem. So if he had played Jerusalem, the king might not have been moved by that. But because he said, my family, and I believe that's strategic. I believe that God was guiding Nehemiah on what to say. So he says, the place of my father's, he's provoking some sympathy or interest. And then verse four, so the king said to me, what do you request? So I prayed to the God of heaven. <laughs> prayed to the God of heaven. Right in the middle of the conversation, it says he prayed to the God of heaven. You know what this tells me? That we can pray anytime, anywhere. Anyway, I don't think it means that the king said, well, what do you want, Nehemiah? Okay, Father, I just thank you right now in Jesus. I don't think it was that kind of prayer. I think he may have just said, Jesus. Or he could have said, Father, help me. You know, we can pray in the, in the short term. We can pray immediately. We don't have to stop and make it a big affair. Sometimes we can pray under our breath. I encourage you, we need to pray before anything we're doing that's significant, any difficult conversations with someone, before you do anything, before a job interview, before a presentation for your company, before you make a sales pitch, before you go in for, for a, a tough conversation with an employee, before you go in for a tough conversation with the boss, we need to pray first. He said, I prayed to the God of heaven. Why? Because he says, I know I need your help. And I don't think he was praying like what to say. I don't think his prayer was like, God, he just asked me, what do I want? Now, what do I want? I don't think that's what the prayer was. I think the prayer was for boldness to ask for what God had already put on his heart. I believe he'd been praying for four months and you're going to see in a moment, he was, he was very specific in what he asked for. So I think he already had an idea what to ask for, but I believe he prayed for the boldness to go ahead and do what God had already put on his heart to do. How many know sometimes we need the boldness to go ahead and do what God's already told us to do? Sometimes God doesn't need to tell us to do anything new. We just need the courage to do what he's already told us to do. And I believe that's what Nehemiah was saying. So, but the king said, <laughs> he said, what do you, what do you request? If we want to rebuild any area of our life, one thing's for certain, we have to be willing to ask. Ask with the power of asking. It sounds elementary. Nobody got, you know, the place didn't erupt with excitement. Sounds basic, but we, you would be amazed how many people will not simply ask. It sounds like something we should know automatically, but sometimes we don't know what's possible unless we ask. I remember this story in the Bible. There's two blind men. And they were sitting by the roadside. Obviously, they're blind, so they couldn't see Jesus walk by. But Jesus walks by, and they hear that he's walking by. So they start calling out to Jesus. They say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on us. And everybody's kind of embarrassed because they're just yelling. You know, it's kind of awkward. Jesus, come help us. And so people around them tried to shush them. You know, my oldest daughter, she's got this new phrase she likes to use. Pipe it down. Why don't you pipe down? Why don't you pipe down? Well, I believe that's what these people were telling these two blind men. Why don't you pipe down? 
You know, let's just be, let's don't be so, uh, let's don't be so undignified. There's people around here. Stop yelling. Well, the more they told him to pipe down, the more they shouted. They said, Jesus. So finally Jesus says, hey, bring him here. They got Jesus' attention. And when they brought him to Jesus, what did Jesus do? He asked them, he said, what do you want me to do for you? Well, they were blind. It's kind of obvious. They said, Jesus, that we may receive our sight. There's something about being willing to ask. Any parent know what your kid wants, but you still make them ask? See, there's something about it. I've I've got got one now that every once in a while he'll say, drink. I'll be like, and? Drink. No. Need to ask. Daddy, can I have a drink, please? Yes, absolutely. Ask. But I'm telling you, as believers, we got to understand this power in our prayer. We got to be willing to ask. Sometimes people are afraid to ask. They've been taught false humility that, well, I don't want to ask. I shouldn't have to ask. Ask, ask, ask. The Bible says, ask and you shall receive. James says this. It says, you do not have because you do not. Say it again. You do not have because you do not. Why don't we have? Because we don't ask. There's something about the power of asking. God is a good father. We, can, we can't be afraid to ask him for things. Matthew 7, 11 says this. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who's in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Notice what it doesn't say. Your father in heaven, give good things to those he has sovereignly already predetermined will get them. It doesn't say that. It says, I'll give good things to those who have the courage to ask. Nehemiah had to ask. The king said, what do you request? Nehemiah could have said, oh, nothing. No, nothing. I don't want to bother you. You've got bigger things to concern yourself with, world peace and all of that. Hey, no, Nehemiah, what do you want? Oh, no, I'm good. I'm good, liar. Ask. You know, sometimes I think what's holding us back is pride keeping us from asking. Just ask. Have the audacity to ask God for help. All right, you got that point. We want to ask. So now, look what else he says. Let's go to verse 5. So the king says, what do you want? And I said to the king, here's what he says. If it pleases the king and your servant has found favor in your sight, I ask, here's the first thing he asked for, that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's tombs, that I may rebuild it. Then the king said to me, the queen also sitting beside him, how long will your journey be and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me and I set him a time. In other words, I told him how long I was going to be gone and when I would come back. And so notice what he says, the first thing, I'm going to give you four things that God gives us to rebuild in any area of our life, four things. They all start with P because I love alliteration. Number one, the first thing he gives you is permission. Permission. Notice what he said, I ask that you send me. I ask that you send me. Nehemiah did not say, King, you need to send somebody to go fix that problem. He said, send me. Something important with our prayers. Our prayers are the most powerful when we're willing to be part of the answer. When we will say, God, I will go do something. Instead of, God, you go do something, say, God, what can I do with you to be part of the solution? God, use me. Isaiah said it this way. When God said, who will go for us? Who will we send? Isaiah said, here am I, Lord. Send me. I believe God needs some more people who's willing to pray. Send me. 
Send me. So number one, we've got permission. We need permission. The king granted him permission. Nehemiah couldn't have just said, hey, king, I'm going to go rebuild a wall. I'll let you know when I get back. He needed permission to go. So when he asked permission, then the king granted him. Here's what you and I need to understand about that. We have permission to rebuild areas of our life. People may not give you permission to start over in your life. If you're looking for permission from people to do everything God's asked you to do, you're going to be in trouble. We need to get God's permission. And once I've got permission from God, then I've got to go for it. He gives us permission. He says, I want you to rebuild. I want you to make something better out of your life. I want you to go after it. I want you to, I want you to get involved. Some things, uh, I, I, I think this is important for us to understand. Some things that bother you the most are the things that you're most called to impact. When, I, when Nehemiah said, send me, it's because those walls being torn down, those gates burned with fire, bothered him. Some things God wants you to partner with, you're looking at that situation, you're like, somebody needs to do something. I can't believe everybody should be concerned about this. The things that bother you the most may be the things that God wants you to impact the most. He said, send me, send me. So the first thing we get is permission. He gave him permission to go. But notice what gave him the permission is in verse 5, if I have found favor in your sight. Everybody say favor. Here's what favor is. Two things, you can't buy love and you can't buy favor. Favor is not uh, manipulation or blackmail. Favor is something that comes from someone else based on their agenda and not on yours. I get favor from God through a person, not because I tried to get it, but because of how God asked me to live my life, then God gives favor. So someone else has to release it. He said, if I found favor in your sight, favor is not luck. Favor is not something, well, I just got lucky. So that's the same as favor. Favor is something that comes from God. Can you increase in favor with God and people? Yes. Luke chapter two, Jesus did this. If you'll see this there in your notes, Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. So if Jesus could increase in favor with God and men, then we can increase in favor with God and men. We can do it. We can increase in favor. And so this is what happened. Nehemiah served the king in such a way that it brought favor onto his life. Entitlement will not get you favor. If you serve like somebody owes you something, favor's not going to come. Favor is when you give selflessly and God gives you selflessly. Favor, favor. We want favor in our life. If we're going to rebuild, we need the favor of God. Favor will get you things that you can't get on your own. Favor will open doors for you that no one else can open for you. Come on, somebody. Favor, Favor will send you places that you can't go without it. We need the favor of God. There are some people that obtained favor. You know, the Israelites obtained favor from the Egyptians so much so that when they were leaving, they actually asked the Egyptians to give them things. And the Bible says that they gave them whatever they asked. It says the Israelites plundered the Egyptians when they left. They left with gold and silver and all kinds of stuff. Why? Because they asked for it. And favor was there. Let me tell you another quick person that had favor, Esther. Esther got favor she got fa- favor from a guy by the name of Haggai. You know, they, they put all the queen candidates in a little uh, uh, competition, you know, like uh, Miss Persia, and they put them, put them in this combination, com- competition. And it says, the Bible says that Esther found favor with the guy that was heading it all up. She got extra beauty products. She got extra rodanid fields, extra nurium, extra Mary Kay. She got all that. She got all these extra products. 
She even got a better room in the hotel that they were staying in. I mean, she, she found favor and all of that led to she got favor with the king and she became queen. Here's another reason why I think that story is important. Notice something, how this favor came about. Look in verse six. Then the king said to me, parentheses, the queen also sitting beside him. When I study this out, and again, this, theologians vary on this, so I'm going to give you this as my opinion, and then you can study out for yourself. Ezra and Nehemiah was one book in the Hebrew translation. It's one book. They separated it when the Latin translation came out, but Ezra and Nehemiah were together. The book of Esther was actually written before the book of Nehemiah. My personal belief is the reason they put in the queen sitting beside him, because I believe that queen was Esther. Again, you know, I'm not saying that thus saith the Lord. I'm just saying that's my perspective on it. And you study that out. But I'm saying why else would they put that in the word of God that the queen was sitting beside him and he get favor from the king in Persia? What does that mean? That the, the Lord knows how to put people in certain positions that will bring favor into your life. God is always looking to put people in positions and we need to understand the power of that. They'll give you permission that you need. So, so now favor can come through all kinds of sources. Nehemiah didn't know the plan that God had for Esther, and he didn't know the connection, and, but I believe God was working that plan all along. So again, you study that out for yourself, but he, number one gives us permission. So let me look at the second one. Go to verse seven. First one's permission. After we get permission, verse seven, he says, furthermore, so he's, he's, he's asking for a lot here. I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given to me for the governors of the region beyond the river that they must permit me to pass through till I come to Judah. Uh, not only do I want permission, but number two, I want power. He asked for power, power. Permission was followed up with the power or the authority to carry out what the king had sent him to do. He said, hey, king, can I go? Yes, you can go. And could you please write me some letters in the name of the king? That way, if anything happened, so if Nehemiah was on his journey to do what the king had asked him to do, if he ran into any resistance, all he had to do was pull out his letters of authorization and say, excuse me, I've been authorized by the king to do this. I'm not working on my own power or authority. See his name, Artaxerxes, right there? He said I could do this. So he asked for power or authority to do what the king had asked him to do. Can I tell you that we have letters from the king that's been written for us that we can pull those out anytime the enemy comes and tries to resist what God is asking us to do. We can say, excuse me, but I've got letters from the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. I'm not working on my own authority, but I'm working on his. If you don't like what I'm doing, take it up with him. I've got letters from the King. He gave us power. See, God didn't ask you to go and do your life, do what he's asked you to do without giving you the power to go do it. Matthew chapter 10, he called the disciples and he, he called them to him and he gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease. He didn't just bring the disciples and say, hey, go out and do something, do the best you can. He gave them power. The word power is the Greek word exousia. It means the authority or power of influence and of right to rule over, have dominion over. Luke 10, 19, behold, I give you authority or power to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt you. That word authority is the same Greek word exousia. God did not just ask us to do something, but he gave us the power to do it. Whew. Folks, we're not working on our own power. We're working on the power of God. Luke 24, 49, when Jesus was talking about the disciples, he says, go and wait in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with 
power from on high. Acts 1.8, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You'll be my witnesses in Judea, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the other most parts of the world. See, we've got to understand that God didn't call us to go do something and then not give us the power to do it. That's what he said to Nehemiah. So number two that he gives us, he gives us power. We're not just working on our power, we're working on his power. We'll go on to the next verse eight. Verse eight, he says, and, and so he keeps asking. So first I got permission, thank you. Now I'm asking you also to give me power and authority so that anybody gives me any static along the way, I can show them your letters and go, na 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 na. the king told me I could do it. Then verse eight, and this guy just keeps on asking. Some people, the nerve to ask for stuff. You ever been with somebody and they've asked for something that you wish you could have, but you didn't have the guts to ask for it and they got it and you got mad? Be around, be around some, some kids that, uh, I'm trying to think of a great illustration, but you know, somebody that wanted to, uh, I've been with somebody, yeah, okay, I've been in this situation before where you see somebody famous and they're like, hey, let's go up and get a picture with them. No, 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 you, you go. You know, or you're somebody you know or want to autograph or something like that, and someone else has no fear about it. They just go right up to them. Hey, hey, can I have your picture? Can you get a picture and get an autograph? Thanks, selfie, awesome. They go, and they come show it to you, and you're all mad you wanted the same picture, but you didn't have the guts to go ask for it. Sometimes we just got to ask. I believe sometimes we're not seeing the fullness of what God wants to do because we're not asking for everything that he wants us to ask for. Anyway, so he asks again, verse 8, and... Can I get a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he would give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel, which pertains to the temple, for the city wall, and for the house that I want to occupy? And the king granted them to me according to the good hand of my God upon me. So notice what he asked for in verse 9. I also would like a letter to Asaph. He he keeps the, the wood at the lumber yard. And that he would give me. Everybody say, give me. Give me. The, the third one is, third P is provision. Not only in God am I asking for permission, not only, or saying this to, to the king, I'm asking for permission, I'm asking for power and authority, but I'm also asking you to pay for this project. Provision. Letters to the king at the lumber yard, or the guy at the lumber yard to make some beams, not just for the temple, but I'd also like wood to build my own house. This this guy has no fear. I'm just going to throw it all out there and ask. You know what I believe it tells me? I would rather ask over the top and let God determine what I need to get underneath that than to ask way below and God say, man, I would love to give you more, but you didn't ask big enough. We get so into our false humility that, well, I'm just afraid to ask. That's asking too much. No, no, I don't. I hear God. I I just want air to breathe. That's all I need. God, just give me some air. Air to breathe, that's all that. It sounds good, but when we think that's spiritual, to only ask for the minimum, when God says in, in, in Psalms, ask for me and I'll give you the nations for your inheritance. I'm not saying being greedy, I'm not saying being selfish, I'm not saying being materialistic, I'm not saying any of that. I'm saying ask for everything God wants you to have. Ask for it. So he said, I, I want this. I want provision. So Nehemiah not only asked for permission and power, but he also asked the king to pay for it. If it's God's vision, then he will give you the provision. If it's God's vision, he'll give you the provision. One of the names of God in the Bible is Jehovah Jireh, the Lord who provides. 
Nehemiah didn't have the money to get the job done, but God had connections and resources. You may not know somebody, but God knows somebody who knows somebody who knows somebody who can provide for you everything that you need. If God's put something on your heart, then all you have to know that God is the author of it. If God is the author of it, he will also be the provider of it. Don't let your faith or belief that it can happen be based on your bank account. Let your faith be based on what did God say. If God put it there, then he can provide for it. You're like, I don't know how. This will never happen. It'll, it'll never happen. But Nehemiah could have said, you know what? Just let me go build. That's it. All I'm asking for is permission. And he could have not got the letters and he could have not got the wood to go build it. But he was willing to ask. Don't be afraid to ask. The third thing he gives us is provision. Look what Psalm, or Philip. Uh, What's that book? Philippians 4.19. Like, bleh. And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Whatever God's asking you to rebuild, he can provide for it. He'll supply all your needs. He didn't make Nehemiah rich, but he did grant him everything he needed to get the job done. 2 Corinthians 9.8. And God is able to make all grace abound towards you that you always having all sufficiency in all things may have an abundance for every good work. Stop thinking in the idea and the mentality of materialistic and get rich. It doesn't mean that. It means that everything God has asked me to do, he will provide me everything I need to get the job done. That's what he's telling us. We should be encouraged by that. That man, this is bigger than me. I know it's going to take God. Let, let, him, let him be your provider. Let him be the one that takes care of him. So he granted that. Now let's look at the, the fourth P. Verse nine. Then I went to the governors in the region beyond the river and I gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent captains of the army and horsemen with me. Here's the fourth P. He will give you protection. Notice what he put with him. He sent captains of the army and his horsemen with me. God's protection will be with you with whatever he asks you to do. You're not working on your own protection. He will be with you. Psalm 512, for you, O Lord, will bless the righteous. With favor, you will surround them like a shield. A person sent on the king's mission will receive the king's protection. If you're sent on what God's wanting you to do, then he's going to protect you in doing that. I'll, I'll insert this. The safest place you can ever be is in the middle of God's will. If God is directing you to do it, then there is no safer place for you to be. Other people may say, hey, wait a minute, you better not go there. It's a little dangerous. If God's telling you to go there, it's the safest place you can be. I'm not talking about just being wild and doing whatever and, and going to different places, but I'm telling you, God will protect what he directs. If he's directing me, he will protect me. If he's directing me to go do this, then he will bring protection along with that. And that's what the king sent his captains and horses. You know, Nehemiah comes into this town not only with permission from the king, but now he's got letters of authority from the king. He's got wood from the king's lumber yard. And now he's got his own little army there of protection. God is making sure that everything Nehemiah needs, he's provided for. Why would he not do the same for us? He's going to provide for you. You go to rebuild it. Now look what he says, though. Look in verse, verse 10. When Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard of it, they were deeply disturbed. Everybody say disturbed. See, not just disturbed, deeply disturbed. 
that a man had come to seek the well-being of the children of Israel. I looked up that word disturbed. It means to spoil, to break to pieces, make good for nothing. Deeply disturbed. You know when the enemy, Sanballat and Tobiah, they represent the enemy to the work that Nehemiah was called to do? Do you know that the enemy is deeply disturbed when you go to do what God's asked you to do? He gets deeply disturbed. I like to say it this way. The enemy is more afraid of you than you are of him. When we step out and say, God, I'm going to trust you and I'm going to begin to do this, the enemy gets disturbed because he doesn't want you to do what God's called you to do. He doesn't want you to try and rebuild that area of your life because he knows if you do, he knows what freedom it's going to bring you. He knows what, it's going to, what breakthrough it's going to bring you. So the voice you hear, they say, it'll never happen. I can't do it. I might as well just forget about it. That is not the voice of a bold enemy. That is the voice of, an, of a cowardly enemy that's afraid that if you ever grab hold of what God wants you to grab hold of, your future is taking on a whole nother level. He wants to keep you down, not because he's overpowering you, because he knows if you get up, you overpower him and he doesn't want that to happen in your life. See, we've got to realize that the enemy knows sometimes more than we do about what God wants to do in our life. Let me give you a quick example of this. Maybe you remember I talked about Jericho and, and when they went into the Jericho and to to conquer that they sent some spies in this lady named Rahab she was a prostitute and she took them in and don't hate on her because she was a prostitute she got redeemed and was actually found in the lineage of Jesus Christ later I'm telling you God can redeem anybody if Jesus come through the line of a prostitute he can redeem my life and make my life good come on somebody whoo that was free right there but I just want to give Rahab some props so now but when they came to Rahab Listen to what the enemy said. Rahab represents the enemy. This is what she said. She said to the men, because they're asking, can we do this? Man, these walls are so thick. This is, this is too hard. It's impossible. The enemy said, I know that the Lord has given you the land, that the terror of you has fallen on us, and that all of the inhabitants of the land are faint-hearted because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you and when you came out of Egypt and what you did to those two kings, the Amorites who were on the other side of the Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. And as soon as we heard these things, our hearts melted. Neither did there remain any more courage in anyone because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and on earth. Let me tell you something. The enemy remembers your victory sometimes more than you do. He said, we remember how God brought you from the Egyptians and he killed that Sihon and Og. We remember all that. We recognize. And when we heard how God brought you through time and time and time again, our hearts melted and all of our courage left us. I'm telling you, the enemy does not, uh, he is more afraid because he recognizes that God has brought you through time and time and time again. And he recognizes that if you will grab hold of what God's done for you before, then he knows that he's going to bring you through again. The enemy sometimes has more faith than we do because he remembers what God has done. I'm just here to encourage you that God's not only given you permission to rebuild an area of your life, but he gave you the power to do it. Not only give you power, but he's given you the provision to do it. He's going to supply everything you need. What do you need this morning? Well, I need more than I've got. That's right. I can do all things through Christ. 
He's going to supply. He's going to supply. Now look at the fourth thing. He's giving protection. Sometimes when the enemy tells you no and says, don't do it, you can't do it, you'll never make it, you'll never get there, you can't, can't go past this, you'll never get past this, all he's doing is he's, that's a voice of fear. He's afraid because he remembers how God brought you out of Egypt. Sometimes we need to go back and remind ourselves, let's see, wait a minute. I'm facing a pretty tough deal. This wall, this whole Jericho thing. Wait a minute, I need to remember King Og and Sihon. I need to remember Pharaoh that drowned in that sea. I don't know what God has brought you through in your past, but you need to call it up to your remembrance right now. Call it up to your remembrance because whatever he brought you through before, he's gonna bring you through what you're facing right now. Let that be an encouragement to you. Let it be something to remind you. There's things that God's brought me through that when I come to a place in my life, I'm like, ah, how am I gonna get through this? Sometimes I need to go back and remind, hey, he brought me before, so he's gonna do it again. And that voice is trying to discourage me and tell me, no, Chad, you'll never do it. That's the voice of fear. This week, I was praying about something and I, f- I felt very, very apprehensive and very fearful about something. I'm not fearful, like afraid to death, but I've like, I felt, I, I recognized that this was fear. And as I was thinking about it, I was thinking, it was bringing me down. It was like, I felt myself almost literally shrinking back. And God just began to say, Chad, as long as you allow your feelings to lead you. Tell him what you know. Tell him being the enemy. Start telling him what you know. But God, there's some things I don't know. I know that. Tell him what you do know. I know, but I feel this. I don't, I just, I don't feel that. Tell him what you know. So I'm driving. And I begin to declare what I know about God. Here's what I know. I know I've been young and old. I've never seen the righteous forsaken or a seed begging for bread. I know that I have never, ever been left forsaken by God. I know that he has always supplied my needs. I know he has brought me through time and time again. I know that when I've felt fearful and defeated before, that God has brought me through that place and set my feet on solid ground. These are the things I know that I'm redeemed by the Lord. I know I'm bought with the blood of Jesus. I know I've been saved, set free and healed. I know that Jesus loves me unconditionally. I know that he has nothing but a future plan for me. I know this, Lord. I know that you've set a table before me even in the presence of my enemies. I know this, and as I begin to declare what I knew, what I felt began to weep away. It began to crawl into a corner because that voice was not the voice of a bold enemy. It was the voice of an afraid enemy that says, oh, I hope he doesn't ever realize what he knows. I hope she doesn't ever remember. If she ever remembers who she is as a daughter of God, we're in trouble. So keep telling her who she isn't. Keep telling her who she isn't, not because we're bold, but because we're afraid. We're afraid if she ever gets her identity. Look out what can happen. If that girl ever knows what she's capable of, please stop her, keep her repressed, keep her oppressed. Somebody keep her down because if she ever gets it, we're doomed. This is what God wants us to understand. There's power that's available to us to go build. Sons and daughters, let's realize who we are. Tell him what you know. So I wanna pray for us. If you'll bow your heads with me, I wanna pray. As you're getting ready to face some things that you wanna rebuild, some things you wanna 
break off your life, some things you want restored, relationships, social things, mental things, physical things. You're facing some real issues. Maybe it's brought you sorrow of heart. But as you're listening to me, I pray that the Holy Spirit today will come and touch your heart and let you know this truth that he's given you these four things. Number one, I've given you permission. Come on, girl, go. Go for it. You can do it. I give you permission, son. You can do it. I say go. Go after it. Go do it. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. Go. Go into that situation. Do it. I'm sending you. Go help other people rebuild walls of their life. Go. I'm sending you. He gives you permission. Well, other people say I can't. Other people don't approve of it. Other people say that I, I, I don't deserve it. He gives you permission by the grace of God to go build. Number two, he gives you power. He gives you the power of the Holy Spirit to do what you can't do on your own. Trust in his power today. You say, I, Chad, I just, I've run out. I can't, I don't have any left, anything left. Put his power to work. Unto him who's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that you can ask or think according to the power that works in you. Number three, provision. He's given you the provision. He's going to provide for you everything you need. He is Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. The Lord will supply. The Lord will supply. Well, what about this? I'm going to need this. I'm going to need that. I'm going to need this. I'm going to need that. The Lord will provide. What the God provides, when God is the author of the vision, then he will provide the provision. Then fourth, he brings protection. You're like, oh man, if I go out and do this, all hell's going to break out against me. That's all right. All heaven is for you. And greater is he that's for you than he that's against you. So it doesn't matter who is against you. It matters who's for you. And if God is for me today, if God is on my side, who, 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 who is that that could possibly stop what God has asked me to do? I want you to pull out your letters this week that God has authorized you. The King of Kings has written you letters. It's the word of God to say, enemy, God has provided me the answers. He's given me the authorization. So I want to pray for you, whatever you're facing. Father, I thank you in the name of Jesus. I pray for the power of the Holy Spirit to come. Yeah, God. Move in every situation for rebuilding to take place. Permission, power, provision, protection. You have supplied God. We trust you with our project. We trust you with our rebuilding project. Come Holy Spirit, speak to hearts. Let them know you're present. Let them, let them know that you're there to rebuild with them. Come on, just receive. Take on that project with God. Maybe you've needed to know that God would supply. Maybe you've needed to know you had more power available. Maybe you needed to know you had permission. Maybe you need God's protection. All of it is true, but apply it to where you are. Thank you, Holy Spirit. God, I pray for everyone listening today that you be their encouragement on their project, that you've empowered them, that the enemy that's trying to silence them 
is deeply distressed, deeply afraid of their progress. Thank you, Lord. We trust you, God. We trust you. 